Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about the Ukraine and Russia. And I think we should title this Avoiding Cold War II in the Nuclear and Drone Era. Now, there's been a lot of news going around about what's going on in Ukraine and countercharges and charges are flying, and, and it's quite amazing. But we'd like to start out, as we have pointed out in so many of our broadcasts, that is clearly evident to us and to regular listeners of our podcast that the United States is a war-based economy. And this is something that is really not very evident to a lot of Americans. It doesn't seem that way anyway, because they keep buying these wars, and we love to hate people like the Russians, who is the latest in our bad guys scenarios here. And I'd like to actually make a couple quotes, because we weren't the first to say that this was a war-based economy by any stretch. We like to refer people to what the outgoing president, Dwight Eisenhower, said in his farewell address in 1961. And he said, quote, In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals. And then another American of note was George F. Kennan, who had been in the State Department and was actually the ambassador to Russia for about a year, but he was dismissed. But the, a very interesting quote from a book written by Norman Cousins in 1987 the forward was written by this George F. Kennan. The book was The Pathology of Power. And George Kennan warned, quote, this was in 1987, were the Soviet Union to sink tomorrow under the waters of the ocean, the American military industrial complex would have to remain substantially unchanged until some other adversary could be invented. Anything else would be an unacceptable shock to the American economy, unquote. And it is people like this that have actually warned us, and we need to be cautious about what is going on in the Ukraine. There's been many charges. We know that there has been American influence and activities in the Ukraine the overthrow of the democratically elected government there, a recent 
item from a German source in the news service AFP says dozens of specialists from the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency and Federal Bureau of Investigation are advising the Ukrainian government, a German newspaper reported Sunday, citing unnamed German security sources billed on Sontag, said the CIA and FBI agents were helping Kiev end the rebellion at the east of Ukraine and set up a functioning security structure. It said the agents were not directly involved in fighting with pro-Russian militants. Their activity is limited to the capital, unquote, the paper said, if we can believe that. With that little bit of introduction, Chuck, why don't you uh, give us an update on your article? We're actually starting from your second article on the issue of the Ukraine and the Crimea, and there has been much news going on. And, of course, in our small effort here at We Hold These Truths, we want to avoid any type of confrontation. We're all for doing this diplomatically to solve these problems. All right. Well, thanks, Tom. In the first place, it is not necessary, and we have never attempted to uh, lionize Vladimir Putin or the Russian government or to justify in any way anything that goes on in Russia. The issue that we're dealing with here really has nothing to do with whether the Russians are the good guys or the bad guys, and whether they have oligarchs running Russia or whether it's run democratically. And it's not even our concern whether the Ukraine was democratically elected, the president who has just been overthrown by a coup. The fact is that the United States had some involvement in this coup going all the way back. That's pretty clear. And the facts that we can tell very certainly is that we have deliberately involved ourselves in one war after another to the tune of about $17 trillion worth of wars since Russia became Russia. Before that, of course, it was the Soviet Union. So in 1990, we look at what we've been doing since 1990. We have been engaged in an ongoing and deliberate war policy, which is focused primarily upon Islamic countries. And because of this focusing on Islamic countries, the state of Israel has become extremely important because the antithesis of Islam, of course, is thought of as Judaism. Jews hate Muslims. Muslims, of course, want to annihilate Jews. We have all been reading that since we were kids growing up, going back to the days of Leon Uris and his books. So the state of Israel has been used as a constant tool to help bring about American acceptance of the wars in the Middle East, one right after another, Iraq twice, and Afghanistan, and Somalia, and Sudan, uh, right? We bombed that. And, uh, of course, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. And so this has been going on for a while, and we have referred to this as the movement to involve Christians or Christian Zionists in promoting these endless wars that we've been wrapped up in financially. We are now facing a financial situation that's much worse than Russia's. And so the switch that's suddenly taken place is we found our leaders suddenly dropping their uh, intentions of involving themselves in Syria and uh, perhaps even putting Iran on the back burner and making this gigantic switch to a very aggressive campaign of placing sanctions and these sanctions are punishments upon 
a country that's so far from us that most people have to go find where these places are on the map. This is, our, of course, already having impact on things. The, you, many probably haven't noticed, but the wheat market has gone up dramatically in the past few weeks simply because the Ukraine is the fifth largest exporter of wheat in the world and Russia is the sixth largest exporter of wheat. And now our country is saying we're going to put sanctions on these people's ability to do that. So this is the kind of thing that we're involved in. So here we are as Christ followers, as believers, believing that Jesus meant that when he said, love your brother, uh, love even your enemy, blessed are the peacemakers. And yet somehow we're involved in this uh, government edict that brings us from uh, one war to another. So we did this first in this series a few months ago when we first heard about this being even the slightest threat. And we uh, very aggressively said, don't take this lightly. There's something is intended here. Our leaders are not threatening Russia because they need to make press. They're actually doing it with intentions of involving us if we're not already involved in the Ukraine, and as we study the matter more, we find that NATO more or less surrounded the countries that border on the Ukraine. And uh, if you think back a few years, it hasn't been more than a couple, the United States was talking about putting a giant missile program along the borders of Hungary and Poland that actually have become NATO members and are now the neighbors of the Ukraine and the neighbors of Russia. So our efforts, of course, are to try to alert our church brothers that they're being led into another folly of brutality. And we're being asked to support these things. And, of course, up until now, uh, with the involvement of Israel, and the primary parties have been the Christian Zionist churches who've accepted the idea that Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and therefore we must support Israel, whatever... Israel does because it's God's will. That's simply what Christian Zionists believe, that Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And so we've focused our attention largely on that, but now we're beginning to see other church denominations are beginning to catch on. First of all, they're catching on to what's happened to the Palestinian people, and we want to now help them catch on to what is going on in Russia and Crimea and what happened in Georgia a little while ago, and what we don't want the United States to be involved in. So this is the purpose of our several papers that we've written. We also wrote one in September 2013. The public is catching on that the U.S. economy is war-based. We think that's a point that needs to be made. But our dilemma, as, uh, as the kind of people we are, with the kind of beliefs we carry, is that we need to figure out how to express this to our church brothers so that they will actually understand it and take the leadership in doing what nobody's doing right now, which is resisting this thrust toward a new possible Cold War with Russia over the Ukraine. Well, and it's significant. There's an anniversary here. It's the 100th anniversary of the First World War, and there were 9 million people that were killed. And if a war escalated here, it could be much worse. It could be catastrophic. And anyone that's a follower of Christ should be against any kind of actions. We've seen Christian Zionists, for example, Kufi, Christians United for Israel, John Hagee, calling for more sanctions against Iran. 
And this certainly is not Christ-like. And as Chuck pointed out, the sanctions typically hurt the downtrodden, the, the less fortunate in, in, in societies. And so we see... Uh, exactly, Tom, in, that's exactly right. These sanctions have their impact on the ordinary public. They do not destroy the leaders. The leaders eat, eat just fine, no matter how much sanctions are placed on Iran. But it's the public that ends up starving. And, of course, this is an unchristian point of view. The idea also of the destruction of our own society, our own economy, from the cost of these wars. Uh, the cost of the wars in Iraq have now been added up to something like, was it $4 trillion? Originally, the estimate was a paltry $500 billion. Well, now it's up to $4 trillion and still running. And, uh, and of course, we've found a way to, to use depleted uranium to destroy the biblical country of, of Iraq, and we don't even know the damage that we've done to the people there, but it is now clearly in the million people or so that have actually lost their lives as a result of this. We wrote about this back in 1990, before we even had an organization, and we noticed that our churches were supporting this. The church is called evangelical, meaning, in my case, the Southern Baptist Convention. It was openly supporting the need to go to war in Iraq. So our need now is to reach out to a lot of other people who know about this, and the arguments can be made from many angles, but the simple, straightforward question of what would Jesus do, what would Jesus' attitude be toward this kind of action, is where we need to really keep our emphasis, even as we discuss issues like the $17 trillion that we spent since the Soviet Union broke down and Russia went on its own back in 1990, that's how much the debt's gone, probably from $8 billion to $17 billion during that time. So there are many ways that we can approach this, uh, Tom and, and gentlemen, and uh, we'd like to hear your comments and thoughts. I'd like to chime in on the fact that the American military economic basis is most assuredly based upon war. It's interesting that as a, as a listen to you speak, I remember as a very young man, when in, we lived, my family lived in California. Now, this was in the 50s. I remember my father speaking of this very reality. The Korean War had just finished, and of course, I was just a very, very young man, very young boy at that time. But it was in the later 50s in which I heard and remember my father speaking with others of the men of the church on this very idea that American society and American economics had to have war because it was so good for the economy and that without it, the American economy just really, really wouldn't do well at all. And I really couldn't tell you why that made such an impression on me as a very young boy, but I distinctly remember some of those conversations. Perhaps it was just simply the idea of the necessity for war striking me as such a sad thing and why do we have to have war? And yet my father very clearly understood that our American society, American economics, was based upon that. And we just go from one crisis to another. And when you really look closely, I know William and I have talked about this very, very often. When you look closely at how things go in American society, in American politics, 
that there is one botched foreign policy practice after another. There is one attempt after another to get America involved in some kind of a military conflict that demands that we send troops, that we send equipment, that we spend fortunes on what seem to be efforts that all that they do is alienate people around the world. We don't make friends and influence people with American foreign policy. And to get to a point that you made there, so much of American foreign policy over the last several, several decades has been based upon this horribly misguided view that Israel is God's chosen people and that America must at all cost, no matter what, unconditionally support this nation that is called Israel. And that has led us to make some of the most horrid foreign policy commitments, foreign policy actions that has resulted in the loss of thousands upon thousands of lives and cost untold millions and billions of dollars. And I know William and I have been involved in spreading this word and trying to change people's hearts and lives about America's attitude toward uh, Israel, or more specifically, I should say, toward Zionism and its misguided policies and how it affects America. William and I have been doing this for about 30 years now, and it's always great to encounter others who are doing the same thing. Well, it's great to have you on, Pastor Preston, right? It's just Don. <laughs> All right, Pastor Don, to me, to, to me then, does this not tell us that our sense of Christianity, that we're failing Christianity by allowing this to happen? In other words, we're, we're not placing the confidence in God that we will somehow survive without war. We're placing the confidence in men who say we need the war to survive. Aren't, isn't that a huge failure of our faith when that happens? I believe Shouldn't that be presented to every pastor and leader, just exactly what you said, and have, him, and have it pointed out, isn't this a failure of your faith? I believe there are several fundamental philosophical, ideological, and biblical failures in, in, in this entire thing. It is amazing to me how anyone could read the teachings of Jesus and come away and claim that followers of Jesus should pray for the death of millions of people. That, that's just staggering to me. Now, is it a challenge to read Jesus' words when he says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you. If a man smites you on one cheek, turn to him the other. Sure, that's challenging. But from those words... One could never, ever get the idea that we should pray that our American leaders will rise up and send a nuke over to blast Russia or China or North Korea or whatever. I'm about as patriotic as anybody that you'll find, I think. I struggle with this concept. On the one hand, you know, I want America to be strong. I want us to survive. I want us to do well. On the other hand of that, I absolutely deplore war because of my faith. And I just simply cannot justify the support of terroristic activities, of 
foreign policies that literally call for America to bomb Iran, to bomb Iraq, as anyone who followed the news some years ago knows, you had the major leading dispensationalists calling for the utter destruction almost of Iraq. Everyone knows John Hagee has called for America to make a preemptive strike against Iran. And on and on it goes. And I listen to that type of thing, and I just, you know, when I'm in conversation with my dispensational friends, I just ask, Where's the biblical justification for this? Exactly. Where, where do you get the idea that this is following Christ to call for war? And we've simplified that, Don, down to the saying, who would Jesus bomb or drone <laughs> now with the addition of drones? Because people have been so conditioned to accept these wars being patriotic I would recommend as an aside, if anybody is listening to this, if you go to our podcast site, WHTT, or go to our main site, but go to the video category right there. And this is not a, a, we've posted, we've embedded there. It's under the title of Selling Perpetual War. It's a film by John Pilger, who's an Australian. He's a broadcaster that lives in the UK. And it's called The War You Don't See. And it's about embedded journalism in the Afghan war and the uh, uh, Iraq war and also the the incident with the, the Gaza flotilla ships that were uh, attacked and nine of the, uh, the aid workers were killed by the Israeli Defense Force. But it's a very masterful uh, film. It's an hour and a half. And it talks about this conditioning. We've been conditioned by a number of things, and we've been conditioned to accept war and, as Don said, literally literally turn our backs on what Jesus taught us. There is a, a disconnect between most Christians. And so it's almost as if we just have to ask them these simple questions, who would Jesus bomb or what, what did Jesus tell us to do? This Craig, the thing I, you talked about being conditioned, and I, I think of the word marketing, and when the, I think of marketing, I think of Kufi, and I, when looking at the the next Standing with Israel event that's going to be taking place in Sacramento in two weeks, the guest speaker is a guy named Dr. Day J. Dudley, and his, it's entitled Return of the Wolf, and I, I thought how, how, how appropriate, they're talking about Return of the Wolf, and they're, they're the ones that are clamoring the the, the war the war sounds to keep this thing going, and how the how the marketing to this culture has been done with the, all the Zionists and the dispensationalists to keep this thing going, and that to me is where it's, it's got to be exposed. In this case, the return of the wolf, the, the, we have to see who the wolf really is. Uh, but is it possible that they're uh, they're already making conditions? Uh, the wolf being Russia, is that? Uh... Uh, is that, what, is that what, a possibility? Or? What it says on the Kufi website is that there were. It says, the Return of the Wolf explores three related historical and theological movements. The first sightings occur during the 1933 Nazi Germany with the Christian-German movement, the German-Christian movement. So they're uh, putting the Christians and the Germans together with the Nazis. That's the first uh, wolf. The second sighting takes place in the late 1960s in Latin America with the liberation theology, and the third with contemporary Middle East with a movement called Christian-Palestinianism. Oh, so that's, okay. that's, that's what it says in the oh, my. Okay. promo. Okay, very interesting. Oh, I just Hi. want to add just one little comment. This is William 
and that is, um, I think, from some of the things which I've read, that there is, and of course I know that Israel has the intention of taking not just all of Palestine, but much more land in the Middle East because of their views that they are, you know, are supposed to be the rulers of the world. And of course, you know, they look at the borders all the way to the Euphrates in terms of the land, uh, when they look at the, the land borders. And so I think that there's also something involved in the, the uh, trade routes or the sea routes that are in and about Ukraine that they are concerned about Russia having the opportunity to uh, to take advantage of, which is why they're really concerned about this, because it's going to affect how strategic they are in continuing these plans to destroy the uh, Middle Eastern countries. So this move with Crimea really is one that has set off a nerve with them, and so that's one of the reasons I think that this becomes a, a serious issue, besides the ones that we've, we've talked about in terms of, of the uh, the moral issues and, and how prone uh, the U.S. is toward war and who's actually provoking these wars that we see. And it's certainly not the, uh, the character of New Testament Christianity and, of course, the issues that are just raised. They are you know, going to attack and already are attacking Christians in these countries. We, of course, are observing a very active change that's going on that's just beneath the surface of quite a lot of churches, and they are the sleepy old mainline churches. We've called them the Rip Van Winkle churches, the mainline Presbyterian church, the Lutheran church, ELCA, others that are actually taking note of what's going on in the Middle East. And this is very logical because they are missionary-type churches who've been there, and they've had plenty of opportunity to observe what's going on there. They're just finally taking some action. We just need to get a lot better at uh, learning how to uh, reach our brothers in these churches that are beginning to wake up, because that's where we're going to find the support that's going to change all of this, is if we actually do our part and find a way to reach out among these other churches, some of which we don't necessarily agree with all the time. But nevertheless, they are cognizant of, uh, of these very simple statements that have been made by all these men here today. Blessed are the peacemakers. There is not a mainline church that does not understand that statement. So there is a glimmer of hope here in this, and you'll find this in other articles that we've published, such as is support for Israel waning among evangelicals, one of our recent posts. Great. Well, thank you, everybody. That was a very good program. Anyone that listens to our program, please pass it on. Knowledge is power, and the only means that we have is one-on-one, practically, and use your influence and other people to listen to the program, pass it on, get them to think about these issues. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.